0: Bridges to Bailey, back to Bridges, once more to Bailey, now it's Bridges, here's Bailey, oh my, Bridges, Bailey, Bailey, Bridges, and they scored! Last play of the game, 98 yards to go, and these boys ain't got no more hope than a pig in a parlor. Pitch goes to the right, defense closing in, and he's floating, he's in the air, a human being is taking flight, he's flying to the 50,
1: the end zone, touchdown, the pig is at the
0: Oh Sacré Bleu, il est fort pied. Il utilise ses mains. Sans pied? Un On disgrace. Oh, what's this? He's thrown it back. This could change the sport. A terrible day for fishing. A great day for the fish. This is Apocalypse Sports Radio. And now your host, Shane! episode number 18, Apocalypse Sports Radio. This is Shane. Got a relatively quick one for you today. By my standards. I mean, it's a, it's still a half hour. It's not that quick. Um, but I am uh, very happy to have Jay Busby uh, on the show today. Jay is a senior writer at Yahoo Sports. He also has his own substack, which is really uh, really terrific reading. And among the things that Jay covers is NASCAR. And I wanted to bring Jay on. He and I are... Our old pals, we met for the first time in um, in St. Andrews in Scotland in 2015 at the Open there, and uh, we have the same agent, so we've known each other for a little bit. But anyway, yeah, so Jay writes a lot about NASCAR, and I wanted to talk to somebody who would have a good perspective on the Bubba Wallace uh, noose incident that went down. Really, really, really a strange story with a lot of different twists. Um and something that, you know, I've written about one of those rare NASCAR stories that kind of broke through to the mainstream and, and got everybody's attention. And a very 2020 story. So we're gonna get into all of that. And uh, yeah, that'll be that'll be most of what we've got for today's show and uh, working on a bigger one for Thursday. You know, the pitch as usual, Apocalypse Sports Network, three bucks a month for two podcasts each week and five blog posts. If you're interested in that, you can sign up at Patreon.com slash Apocalypse Sports. And uh, yeah, that's about all I have. So let's get right to Jay. Segment break. All right, Jay, good to have you on board.
1: Absolutely, brother. It's good to talk to you again. I mean, I think we first met in Scotland back in uh, 2015 in some pub somewhere, and uh, and have been training one-liners on Twitter ever since. So it's good to good to be on the podcast.
0: You know that pub had the word blue in it, and I don't remember what the uh, what the other one was, but I, I remember that week is that was in St. Andrews. It's one of the most fun sports covering weeks I've had
1: yeah i mean you know i i know of a couple of journalists i'm not going to name any names but uh we that we i mean they they violated the the no cheering in the press box rule when uh spieth rolled that long long put in on uh, on 16 and uh we were sitting right there and, 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 and screaming as loud as anybody else
0: well kevin and i were on the course and so we were be, we were both being very good because we couldn't scream we would we would have been quite conspicuous if we screamed or maybe not maybe not at that point we would have just been drowned out but there's cameras everywhere so yeah thanks very much jay uh uh we already talked to a senior writer for yahoo and i wanted to talk to you today about the bubba wallace incident because it is one of the strangest stories just in terms of the twists that keep happening there have been like four different conclusions (laughs) through the course of it um but maybe we should start at the beginning and uh okay so last monday well going back further than that bubba wallace made it his business to say let's let's get the confederate flag out of nascar is that a fair place to start
1: yeah, we can even start even before that. Bubba <laughs> Wallace is the is the first, is the only current black driver right. at the cup level, which is NASCAR's highest level. So starting with that, he drives the 43 car, which is the car of Richard Petty, one of NASCAR's mar- most iconic names. So then we roll forward from there, and you're right. He starts speaking out in support of Black Lives Matter. He starts speaking out against the Confederate flag. And then lo and behold, NASCAR does what it has not done in his previous 70 years and says, hey, no more Confederate flags at uh, races. That's it. Done.
0: Yeah. And then people were pissed off about that. Right. I mean, there was a fact even before we get to the news incident, there were a faction of people. I, I know there was like a, a plane with a, a defund NASCAR banner. So there's there is a set of NASCAR fans, obviously, that that really hated this.
1: There was a huge segment, or I should not say huge, because we honestly don't know how huge they are, but they were—they are hugely loud, yeah. at least on social media. Uh, NASCAR tried this five years ago um, in the in the wake of the Charleston massacre. They said, please don't bring your flags to, the, to the, the race in Darlington. Well, I went to that race, and as you can expect, there were more flags than I've ever seen in a single NASCAR track. NASCAR fans tend to be a little rebellious. And when someone tells them not to do something, they do the opposite. So, yeah, that the, the infield was absolutely – I'm sorry, the, uh, the the camping area around the, the track was absolutely full of Confederate flags. Yeah. And so this time around, obviously, no fans in the stands, or very few fans in the stands. I think that 5,000. But certainly, that, that wasn't restricting fans from bringing uh, Confederate flags outside the track. And there was a, there was a parade of trucks uh, waving the flags. And as you mentioned, the plane flying over the head with a Confederate flag.
0: Yeah. And so it was interesting because it almost felt like there, you know, and I wasn't, I do not remember this from 2013, but it almost felt like there was that momentum to sort of push back a little bit. And then this thing happens where there's a new, all of a sudden there's a noose in Bubba wall and that kind of in a weird way, it's hor- It's so horrifying and so shocking that it nips it in the bud in a way, or at least changes the
1: narrative of what's going on. Yeah. It's, it, it is impossible to come up with a more, Uh, a a harsher and more strident racial symbol than a new See, I mean, it, 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 it outstrips even the Confederate flag in terms of what it implies. And so to have that right there, you can see NASCAR took a ton of criticism for the way that they handled this early on, but given everything that they had before, black driver, involved with black lives matter getting the confederate flag band confederate confederate flag protest happening in alabama you know you put all these things together yeah. it's not tough to reach the conclusion that nascar did on sunday night that this was deliberate
0: yeah and and, and okay before we get into what happened next on monday and i i'm not mistaken saying it was a rain delayed race right at talladega so right. it goes off on monday a week right. ago today um Bubba Wallace is at, there's like this sort of procession where Bubba Wallace is driving and all these drivers and, and pit members and crew members and everything are coming behind him. Is that right? Uh, well, they pushed his car before he pushed actually got car. out
1: onto the track. Yeah, they pushed his car just literally. I mean, it's a standard procedure on pit road to push the car. You know, they take it out of gear and everything. But they all, in a ceremonial parade, pushed him up to the front and then stood behind him in a, in a very visible and powerful symbolic display of, of unity and and standing behind the guy.
0: Yeah, and you wrote about this for Yahoo, Jay, and you, uh, I'll link all these pieces that you wrote. Um, but it, it was, it was really something else, and uh, to have the solidarity of his fellow drivers had to be you know, super meaningful in that moment when, you know, as an outsider, for me, someone who's not a big NASCAR fan, I wonder like, how many of these guys are from the South and how many of them disagree with the Confederate flag thing. But they all, it seemed like at least most of them, as far as I know, got behind him and, and showed their faces sort of in solidarity with him.
1: Yeah, and this is it, this is a unique event in the fact that that up until literally just a week ago, these guys would dodge any attempt to talk about anything political, anything racial, anything social. They would work their way out of the conversation as fast as possible. The only exception, Dale Earnhardt Jr. That's because he's so big that that even if even if you take out the racist section of fans, he's still just fine. But every other one was so protective of their image that they wouldn't say anything. They would no comment regularly. And what so was the fact that they put themselves out there was was something. And what was Dale Earnhardt saying? He said for, as far back as 2002, he said that uh, the Confederate flag has no place in NASCAR, and he said it again in 2015 uh, after, as I mentioned, the the Charleston mm-hmm. incident. He, yeah. he was he came out very defiantly against the Confederate flag, which is. Kind of a surprise because, you know, you can go and see these kind of bootleg Confederate flags with with the number three, his dad's number or with his dad's car on him all over the place. But uh, but he was he was certainly made absolutely no qualms about how he felt about it. And did he was there a backlash for him for that? I mean, did fans get pissed
0: off? Did he lose some Southern fans or anything?
1: No, and that's the thing. No, He, he didn't lose anybody except for the, the kind of fans that that kind of hate everything, but uh, I, there was no <laughs> yeah. serious backlash, and that's the thing. That, that should have been an indicator that, you know what, maybe this group, they, they may be very loud, but maybe they're not quite as powerful as they, they want to believe they are.
0: So after all of this, and it was this uh, huge story to the point that it transcends sports, you know, it's not often that you see a NASCAR story on the front page of ESPN, unless a race has just happened, or on Yahoo, or whatever. Um, y- you have this thing that everybody knows about, everybody's writing about, including people like me on my blog who have probably never written about NASCAR before in my life. Then the next twist that happens is this turns out this noose has been there at least since, what, the fall of last year uh, in yeah. his garage.
1: You kind of, in one hand, you kind of feel bad for NASCAR because the only time they make the front pages is when something catastrophic happens, <laughs> right, know, some, right, 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 some right. terrible wreck or something like that. But uh, or a noose being found in the garage. Yeah. But yeah, the way that Talladega works is they have a, it's not a garage like you know you, you park your car. In. It's a huge kind of barn like structure, and there are many 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 stalls, and it's a huge open room, and it was not open since October it, it, it's a it's a new garage building it was open for the first time in October and then they closed the doors for the winter and generally they'll open it up in the spring for cars to start testing things like that but we know what happened in the spring nothing was going on so literally it was not open until June and then they rolled it up and hope there you go and and this is the, the part that where everybody kind of trips on is how did it end up in bubble Wallace's stall? And it's really, it was basically just a one in 40 shot. You know, if you, if you assume that, that a, that, a noose is being tied somewhere, then the odds are about one in 40, that it's going to be in that particular stall. And we see all the time uh, events in sports happening that, that beat one in 40 odds, but that's basically what it was.
0: Yeah. And it's such an insane coincidence. And you know, the, the talking point after, and I was partly along with this and partly not. Afterward, it was like, well, you know what? Like, All in all, it's a good thing because we had this display of solidarity. We're talking about things that need to be talked about. And I was like, yeah, I sort of agree with that. But at the same time, I wish some of this had been investigated beforehand because I also can't deny that it's kind of embarrassing. Or it it felt at that moment at least embarrassing before the final twist. (laughs) There's always (laughs) another twist. But in, in, in that moment, I thought like, okay... It almost gives fuel to the people who think that this is like, oh, it's mountains out of molehills. The Confederate flag is just heritage. We're not as bad people as everybody says we are. Well, OK, obviously, no matter what the case with this noose is, it wasn't targeted at Bubba Wallace. And it was this ridiculous coincidence. So that to me felt like I, I felt like that hurt NASCAR a little bit, and maybe even hurt Bubba Wallace a little bit uh, at that moment. What did you think of that?
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And and the issue was, they said, you know, there was a noose and it was found in the in the garage. Stall. It had been there since October. So that gave people plenty of room to say, oh, it's just a it's just a knot. It was just something that they used to, to, to tighten up the string so she could pull it down easier. Now, it's important to note that the FBI said noose three different times. You know, they use the word noose. The FBI knows the power of these words. But yeah, to an extent, Bubba Wallace was left out there on his own because he he was just getting railed from Fox News and other places saying, oh, it was all yep. made up that, you know, the whole Jesse Smollett nonsense. It was it, it, nonsense. It was just, it was ridiculous in the way that he was left out. And, and NASCAR, I think, did botch that particular information rollout.
0: Yeah. And, and the tough thing too, is it's like there was something, even when I first heard it, there was something weird about it because I am used to racism and stuff like that being displayed, not necessarily in subtle ways, but in subtler <laughs> ways where you when you come out with something huge like that, like somebody left a noose and it reminds me of like the Rolling Stone rape story a little bit or things that are just a little too perfectly fit into the narrative to be true. And I, yeah. cer- I certainly didn't think it was a Jesse Smollett thing. I think that would be insane for him to do something like that. And he doesn't seem like that kind of guy. But it did seem like. Oh, this is weird. Like something about this rubs the wrong way. Like something's going to come out. And these things always tend to like read down to the racists and the horrible people. When, if there's any like crack in the logic and then here it was. And that for me for a second was like kind of discouraging in a way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you don't want there to be racism. You don't want there to be racist elements. You don't want somebody to be running around tying a noose in, in, uh, in garages. But by the same token, you don't want it to be brushed off, and you don't want it to be a, a fake news story, for exactly. lack of a better exactly. term.
0: Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, of course, the next thing that happens is we have a, the tweet of the photo. Um, there was, like, a video going around that I watched from the last fall where you could kind of see it in the distance, and it looked just like a little loop, but you, it wasn't close enough to tell. Then you get the photo from inside, and the damn thing is a noose. I mean, there's, That's just, a noose. there's just no mistaking it. I mean, it's it's yeah. got, like, the little... Uh, you know the the little circular tie arounds and the rope. I mean, it's like every anyone who's ever watched a Western movie, there's no mistaking this for anything else. So then you go, okay, like they were legitimate. If you were Bubba Wallace or his crew members going in to see this, you're going, yeah, somebody tied a news to intimidate us, right?
1: yeah i mean of course and and it, it my one of my favorite kind of dark humor parts of the entire uh, uh business was my mentions were full of people who were suddenly experts on fishing knots and things like <laughs> this and, and and all these well you know it's perfectly normal that a noose would be used in a garage to hold and it's like just shut up you know i didn't even know that there was fishing not twitter but apparently there is fishing not twitter <laughs> that, that was mistaken. trying to pose as experts but it was it was it was absurd it was a fucking noose man there's just there's no two ways of about it and so yeah with that in mind you can absolutely see why they reacted the way that they did and and that was that that photo really brought it home that, that NASCAR did even if they botched the steps afterwards they took the right steps on Sunday night
0: yeah yeah and that, and that was the thing looking back you're like well I don't know if there's anything else NASCAR could have done especially because it happened so fast and the longer you wait the, the worse you look in some ways and um, So, talking about this noose, it goes back to who the hell tied this thing originally and why? (laughs) And I feel like that's a question we're never going to get the answer to. I can see it being, I can see it going anywhere from someone like who was a racist and thought it was funny to somebody who like maybe thought it was funny and didn't even consider the racial element. It was just like, I'm going to learn to tie a noose. We need like a garage pole. I'll tie it in a noose and maybe people will laugh at that, not even thinking of that. And it's just one of those weird things in history that it's going to remain a mystery in all likelihood. And we're going to have no idea what the intent was behind it ever.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you want to do a garage pull, just, uh, you know, getting into there's into rope, not tying Twitter here. If you want to do a garage pull, you do not do a noose because it compacts and it'll compact on your hand if you're trying to pull it down. But uh, that's the whole point of a noose. But, yeah, I, I think you're right. There's there's no way to answer exactly what happened. But the thing is, if you if you focus, not you, but anyone that focuses on the motivation of somebody who did this, it, it obscures the fact that this is a noose in a workplace, yeah. which is very, very visible to, to not only uh, the the black drivers, the black crew members, but everybody, you know, you're not going to see a noose in, in in the Starbucks, you know, you're not going to see a noose in a bookstore. It's it, it's just yeah. not going to happen. And so that's the kind of thing that gets obscured when, when people focus on the motivation or the, 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 the uh, forensics of how it got there.
0: So to me, this is like an ultimate 2020 story, Jay, in the sense that, there's all this controversy, but I think any side is going to leave sort of feeling like they were right. And there's just enough <laughs> on both sides to kind of confuse and muddle the issue and to, right. br- to bring us no closer to unity or agreement on anything and almost to be more divisive. But let me turn it to you. I mean, what do you think the the general like net effect of this whole thing is now that we're, I guess we're like what a week away from the from the race and you know we're getting farther and farther away from everything.
1: I think that, that the the long lasting effect is gonna be that image of all the drivers rallying around Bubba Wallace of seeing the positive impact that they had and seeing how it, it, it reacted well with their with their fans, with the majority of their fans. Obviously there's there's gonna be still cranks there. The next step, though, for NASCAR is to figure out how to go. It's, it's like every other company go beyond gestures, go beyond the hashtags. And, and what are you going to do next? What, do you, what effort are you going to make from here going forward to help not just black drivers, black crew members, but, but fans of color who might want to join in the races, fans who want to see NASCAR and have, have been turned away from it because of the racist elements? So, you and I, Jay, have
0: both covered a good, a good deal of golf. And, uh, you know, I think, in my opinion, the players, the American players there, tend to be. Uh, conservative a lot of them are from the south but most of them come from money so I almost consider it like a different kind of conservative uh, right. what what are like when you talk about I know NASCAR is such a huge money sport now and the demographics of the drivers look different than they would have in like the you know the rough and tumble like 60s or 70s or whatever but what are if we're talking about like an average driver what are they like what are their politics uh, you know what kind of people are they
1: They tend to be a little bit more conservative, you know. As well, Um, they they come from if not from money, they come from access to money because NASCAR is the most expensive sport possible to try. You've got to have so much money or so much access to money through sponsors from from the time that you're eight years old racing go karts. You've got to have that kind of money, but they tend to be they tend to come from you know it's tough to make an overall judgment, but they tend to come from from you know more rural, less urban settings, and and obviously you know they're, they're predominantly white, so they're. There's only of the of the 40 drivers in in the field at any given time, there's only three that could be potentially considered not completely straight down the road like me white. So that's, you know, it's it's a small minority. And
0: what about the sport in general? Uh, This is something that like I, I think like 10 years ago, you'd always hear NASCAR is the fastest growing sport in the world. And now I feel like when I hear it talked about, it's actually not doing so well or it's it's maybe like fallen on hard times a little bit. But my understanding of it is very vague. How is the sport itself doing aside from all this stuff?
1: Yeah. It's a strange thing because the, the problem that NASCAR ran into is one that you don't see in any other sport, except for maybe golf and golf doesn't inspire the kind of mania outside of tiger and Jack in, in terms of following. you. There's not, there's not a whole ton of people that are, that are traveling around the country following Justin Thomas, you know, as much as, as much fun as he is to watch, he doesn't necessarily draw yeah. a caravan, but, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but, and I'm, don't mean to pick on JT. I love him. But it, in terms of drivers, you go and you get connected with a driver. It's like a member of your family and they will wear, stuff with him, they'll get tattoos of his number, everything will connect with him. And the problem with that is that NASCAR's most charismatic drivers, Tony Stewart, Jeff Gordon, Dale Jr., they've all retired. And so it's not like when your favorite baseball player retires, you're still a fan of the team. kind of left adrift and so that's what's happened is is that a lot of fans just kind of find themselves without a country anymore they'll go and they'll take on someone like chase elliott who's the son of of legendary driver bill elliott but it's not quite the same thing and so yeah a lot of fans have just kind of drifted away because their guy has moved on
0: and you know being having covered it um what's your sense of how nascar is handling this and and i'm not talking about the bubble wall since i'm talking about in terms of growing the game because it's tough right i mean this is a very limited kind of thing Although it shouldn't be. Everybody's got a car. cars, Cars are everywhere, but it seems like a difficult sport to grow,
1: in my opinion well you've got the problem is that you've got two separate sets of fans that that can't necessarily exist with one another in the sense that you've got a a group of hardcore nascar fans and they want it pitched to them you know they're like they're like the fans that got in with the band before they broke big and they resent every chance that every time that the band goes you know goes big and goes international they get pissed off and they say we were there at the start nascar the same way you've got that core group of fans who say that nascar got too big too fast but that was the only way that the sport was gonna survive was to expand out of its Southern footprint, to expand to California, to expand to Chicago, to expand the Northeast. And the, the, the fans that come in in those places don't have the same diehard long-term generational fandom, but they don't wanna to be told that they're you know, interlopers. They don't wanna to be told that they're yeah. outsiders. And so it's, it's, it's this weird dynamic where you've got a, a very loud section of the fan base that's actively against any more expansion.
0: And I would imagine the the tightrope walk for NASCAR is you also don't want to lose those original people. And so, exactly. You know, probably, again, going the Confederate flag thing. I mean, I'm sure there's some overlap there where it's like, you got to be very careful of you don't want to completely cut off new people, but also it's important not to lose the base either.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And then the way that the sport was founded, I mean, it was founded on bootlegging. It was founded on rebellion. It was founded on this idea of badass driving these drivers who didn't give a damn. They'd run from the law and they'd be smuggling it. It's kick-ass image it's a great image and it's something that everybody who's driven in a car who's been in a car and said you know what screw it i'm going a little bit over the speed limit which is all of us they can all sympathize with so the the question is how how to hold on to that attitude while getting out the racist element that sometimes slides in underneath that attitude. You know, NASCAR is not a racist sport, but there are an awful lot of racists that like NASCAR.
0: That's interesting. Now let's, uh, a slightly more positive note, Jay, along with writing for <laughs> Yahoo, you also have a great Substack stack um, that people can sign up for jbusby.substack.com. And recently you wrote about Talladega and that was something I really enjoyed reading. Um, and I wanted to ask you about it because it is one of those venues where it's like, even if you're not a baseball fan, you probably know a little bit about Fenway or Yankee Stadium, or, you know, you could go through all the sports and say, like, there's these famous venues. Now, Talladega is a name everybody knows, even before the movie, uh, right. which I'm sure is a perfect representation. No, but, but what is it that makes this track special? And uh, tell me a little bit about the mystique of Talladega and, yeah, just kind of what it's all
1: about. It's it's the biggest track in NASCAR. It's two point six six miles. It is just enormous. It's in the middle of nowhere, Alabama, in this little valley. And people will gather from all over the country, especially all over the South, to come. At least not this year, obviously. But in better times, they will gather to come to hang out in the infield, hang out in the outfield, or outfield hang out outside the track. They will be there, and it's the kind of place where it's just this weird sort of city unto itself, where where laws don't apply, where. More Morals were kind of subjective. It's it's it is so much fun. Saturday night at Talladega is is before the race day on Sunday It's one of the greatest times. You got to make sure that you know your, your significant other your, is informed ahead of time. You got to make sure that you don't take any pictures. I I've gotten in trouble a couple of times with some pictures that I've taken, uh, and it's it's just tremendous fun seeing. Just the the both, not only the depravity of the human soul, but just so much how much how many fun and stupid things you can see from barbecue sauce wrestling to uh, people staggering down the street in costumes like like it's Mardi Gras. It's just it's. It's why NASCAR is so great because it's not just a game, it's not just a race, it's an experience, and so Talladega is the best of that experience.
0: That's really cool. That's a great description. It sounds like a more a little bit more fun-loving Kentucky Derby almost, or a little yeah, yeah. like ten percent less drunken, ten percent more. <laughs> Fun and I did lineup. that
1: one time. I, I did the Kentucky Derby in Talladega one day after the other. And oh my god! I I needed to be in detox after that. <laughs> so it was yeah. But that's a good description. A good comparison.
0: Yeah, I think Hunter S. Thompson even couldn't have managed that double. That would have been yeah, that- very tough. Um, and then <laughs> last thing, Jay. The other thing you wrote in your Substack, which I just think is you know totally unrelated to what we've talked about so far. Um, But hold on, let me get the name of this duel correct. What was the duel called that you wrote about? The Sandhill. Oh, the
1: the the sandbar, the sandbar duel. Yeah, the sandbar, the sandbar duel.
0: That's- this is one of those things that I love about history because occasionally. Whether it's sports or normal history, you'll come across something that's so absurd that you, nobody could have made it up. It, it's too crazy to be real. Tell us about this if you can.
1: I don't know if you can yeah, summarize it, but this is back in 1827. There was uh, a couple of families in Mississippi. You know, the, the classic kind of old Mississippi families, like like Shakespeare. They hated each other. They would go back and forth over debts and women and so forth. And at one point, these two, uh, the two of the men of the family, decided to have this duel. So they had this duel, and they've each got you know half a dozen guys with them. They had the stool where they're standing there they fire their guns at each other two times they miss both times from a distance <laughs> you know it's, it's not it's not like the, the bugs bunny you know march and walk and turn you're standing and pointing at the guy some distance away they miss both times so they're thinking okay that's it we're done we're shaking hands we're good well the entourage is saying, hell no we're not done and they start this brawl between them and it ends up with two people dead multiple people injured and the, the worst part of this was Jim Bowie. You've heard of Jim Bowie from legendary uh, Dad at the Alamo, Bowie Knife and all this yep, stuff. yep legend of the Bowie knife starts here because one of the other guys comes, pulls a knife out of his cane, you know, like a James Bond villain, stabs Jim <laughs> Bowie in the chest, but this cheap-ass knife bends on his sternum. So Bowie grabs the guy. It's like John Wick grabs the guy by his shirt, and I'm doing this right now on Zoom. Shay, you can see me doing the whole action. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Grabs him and then yanks him and then and then shoves the Bowie knife up and kills him right there, right over top of him. So it's just this, this ridiculous... Broad, and it's it's memorialized like like all these kinds of things there are there are monuments or there are plaques all over Natchez, Mississippi and in Louisiana. So it's just I'm with you, man. I love these weird history stories. And the, the, the news of this went national. Everybody wanted a Bowie knife after this. It was just it was a ridiculous story of a, of, of a fight that went way too far.
0: Have you uh, and this dueling culture in general and, and like you talked about that sort of Hatfield McCoy kind of Southern family rivalries. It's so fascinating. Have you read about Andrew Jackson's duel? I, I know of it, but not well enough to know it. Tell me about it. Well, basically, the story is now. I'll probably get some details wrong, but he got in this fight and he had to get into the stool with somebody who was known as this unbelievable sharpshooter. Oh so, Jesus! And so his his decision was that he was going to let him shoot first. And he wore a giant coat. Andrew Jackson wore this giant coat and stood sideways to try to, to try to mask like where his body actually was in relation to the stool. <laughs> But it turns out this guy is a sharpshooter. He's unbelievable. So he shoots him anyway and like hits Andrew Jackson in the stomach. Andrew Jackson pulls himself up bleeding from the stomach and murders this man in cold blood, takes his turn on the duel, and the guy just has to sit there and get shot to death. And that was early in Andrew Jackson's life. I mean, everything we know about the guy would have been over <laughs> at that moment. Jeez, it's just the, the staggering like violence of it, but also the, the just the purposefulness of it. It's like when you watch old Civil War movies or something, and you see these regiments just marching at each other, that old school style of warfare. It's, it's too much to be believed at times.
1: That's just that's what stuns me is just the the either the the bravery or the insanity to stand there with a guy about to fire at you and not just be like screw this man I'm out of here this is this is ridiculous but they they did that was the that was the code of culture it was it yeah. was more shameful to run than to get shot in the effing face with a bullet
0: it's amazing I'm reading Ulysses S Grant his memoirs right now and he said uh, never in my life would I duel I would find a way out of it and I was like good for you it's nice to hear that from somebody in that era they weren't all completely crazy. So that's
1: the thing. Yeah. Well, the U S grant, I mean, what does he know about war at all?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Jay, this is awesome, man. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate your perspective and we'll, we'll link everybody to your Substack and your Yahoo articles and all that. So thanks a lot.
1: Absolutely brother. Keep kicking ass.
0: Break. All right. Always very, very nice to talk to Jay again, Jay. Thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. And that's about all I got for today, folks. So enjoy the middle parts of your week, and I will see you on Thursday. Goodbye!